All right, so Preston, let's move on to number 57. And Jeez, 57, how many more? How, we, what are we getting to, like 350? What, what, what are we going to? Maybe, we'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, we're going to actually um, 65. So, okay, oh, that's not far at all. Mm-hmm. 57 to 65, just eight more? Okay, Yep. Mm-hmm. all right. So 57, the Iron Bank uh, betting on Cersei winning the war. Cersei loses. So what does the Iron Bank do to get their money back? I think this is kind of a a weird confusion that many people, including myself, had during that season seven scene. So to my understanding is that the money that the Lannisters took from Highgarden made it back to King's Landing. And the actual train that was going from Highgarden, you know, the, the train, the the... The, the cart, you know what I'm talking about, the supplies, yeah, yeah, yeah. those were grain. That Danny attacks, that was grain. Um, to my understanding, the Iron Bank already got their money, and I think the money that was left over after Cersei paid back the debt was used to buy the Golden Company. I don't think the Iron Bank gave them a loan. I saw this, I went back and I saw the scene before we started recording. I don't think the Iron Bank gave them the loan to get to buy the Golden Company. I thought she, I mean, this is just what I remember. I thought she paid back the previous debt and then took out a new loan to buy the Golden Company. See, I I saw the scene with her just, I just now, I saw the scene with her and, um, what's the guy's name? Tycho? um, Tycho, yeah, Tycho Nestoris. Right. I saw the scene with him and he doesn't say that he's, he's willing to help her once he gets the money but he never says he's going to loan her more cash to get the golden company he just basically Mm. says by the way the golden company has helped us in the past and she's like yeah i'll think about like employing them huh i mean maybe it it, i don't think it's too much of a a thing in the end i mean it's just something that brand would come in and then have to pay off like okay you know on the list of things that that are are messed up with the world that are that are in crisis like uh yeah the the paying back of the loan to take out the gold take off the you know take the golden company um plus she might have she might have promised to pay the golden company she might have taken out the loan promised to pay the golden company and then um never actually like you know paid an invoice you know they never actually paid them they all got killed so it doesn't matter um I mean, I, I, though whatever money she has, the castle fell upon on top of her. There's a lot more money to be spent, like rebuilding King's Landing and things like that. That's going to be a bigger loan to take out from the Iron Bank. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think it's yeah, I don't think it's too much to worry about. I think it's a bigger loan to to repair the entire city that got dis- you know that got destroyed than worry about. The, the money the money to pay the gold you know the money to pay the golden company yeah I mean it's it's gonna be tough um I mean luckily spring like is right around the corner and they're gonna and 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 really winter never came so <laughs> you know they well, can, winter did come it just like happened for a couple of days or or maybe a couple of weeks or something right I mean there was like a week of snow in in King's Landing at most. You know, so it's the equivalent. I mean, that means Dorne was fine. It was still growing crops. So everything, you know, Old Town, perfectly fine. So they just they, they just have to get a lot of money to, to rebuild and then and maybe take out another loan with the Iron Bank. They'll be fine. 
<laughs> they'll, be, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Number 58. Tyrion giving Jon and Danny a weird and ominous look when Jon goes into her room at the end of Season 7. This seemed to set up some, like, conflict for them in Season 8, but nothing ever comes of it. Uh, yeah, this is something everybody pointed out, that Tyrion is just giving them, like, a weird stare, and come Season 8, he's just cool with it. Yeah, yeah. In fact, they're they're sitting around talking about having them be married, right? Like the it, the only ominous look of like, oh man, this is going to be trouble, is would be after John's birthright is discovered. Like before that, there's no trouble at all, right? Like at the beginning of the season, he's he's they're all completely tickled pink that John and Danny, you know the, the you know the king of the north and the and the the you know, queen of the Iron King of, of the Seven Kingdoms would would get married and there would be peace. Like they're tickled pink about that idea, and Tyrion giving a uh, an ominous look on the on the boat. Um, I guess we just have to accept it's from him being in love with Danny, and then he kind of gets over it. I see you. You keep making this like assumption that he's in love with her. I don't think he's in love with her. I think he loves her. Like like how you love your like your brother. You're not in love with your brother, but you love your brother. I think he he's in love with the idea of what she was or what she could have been. Yeah, I mean, it's a little ambiguous because he does say, like, oh, I loved her. And then he says, not as thoroughly or as successfully as you. Um, and, you know, obviously he's if that it's, it's not that he might not be conflating the different types of love. But if he is in that statement, he you know, he's doing that. Um, so that, I think some people took that line of, of, of Tyrion admitting that he was actually in love with Danny as well. But, uh, I don't know, it's an ambiguous line, so who knows. Oh, and before we move on, uh, so the Iron Bank, is that, is that a drop plot line? I think it's just resolved. Um, I would say it was fairly resolved. I mean, the Iron Bank in general is one of those plot lines that I'm really surprised they didn't drop. You know, <laughs> like, they kept bringing it up every season, and then they finally did something with it, and... You know, she paid the she paid the loan back, and then got the golden company, and then the golden company was killed. Um, you know, oh, do they have to pay back that loan? Well, sure, maybe if it, if there wasn't an additional loan, as you said. But um, I think yeah, it's just I uh, I wouldn't say resolved. It's just I I don't think it's like really worth mentioning um, mm -hmm. paying back. Paying back Cersei's final loan, if it exists, you you didn't you didn't think it existed. Um, I thought maybe it did, but we'll see. But I thought it was. See, I remember making fun of the season and being like, "This is really weird that you know they have her pay back a loan and then immediately take out the loan a loan again. Like, why were they in such a rush to get the money like paid if they're just going to loan it out again? Like, you know, they're they'd be back at they'd be back at the same number, you know. But I don't know. And Tyrion giving Danny and John that unapproving look at the end of season seven, drop plot or? Yeah, I do. I do. Th I do think it's really weird. I do think it's really weird. Um, I guess it's dropped. Yeah. I mean, it, you. We would have to assume that somehow Tyrion was in love with Danny and then got over it. But again, like, there's no, there's no, there's nothing in the plot that or, or show that shows him getting over it or being fine with that. So yeah, I'd definitely say it's a, it's a drop plot. Like he gave an ominous look, like this is going to be trouble. I believe it's going to be trouble. And then the next season, he's he's completely fine with it. He's actually happy about it. 
Well, it would have made more sense if Tyrion actually found out uh, about Jon's true parentage before he gave them that ominous look. Yeah. That would have made more sense because Bran and, 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 and Sam find out about it around the season 7 finale. If Tyrion was there, that would have made more sense. Yeah, that's true. 59. Benjen Stark is a drop plot. An incredibly interesting character that is undead yet on the side of the living but is only there briefly to save Bran and Jon. And that's it. So I wouldn't say Benjen is a drop plot per se, but I would argue that his conclusion was very unsatisfying. Yeah, I mean, everybody kind of says that it was shoehorned in. Like, they did resolve it, but it's just like, really? Like, you, you bring you bring back, you bring John back only to have Benjen come out and save him at the last minute to have Benjen killed. Um, it was completely shoehorned in. Um, it, it, uh, it wasn't a very fitting resolution. Like, John never gets to talk to his uncle after searching for him for years, you know? Bran gets to talk to him, even though that Bran wasn't the one that was obsessed with finding him, you know? So, yeah, I would say it's just a weird shoehorned in, too quick resolution for Benjen. We never really find out the deal with him and, you know, what his powers were, his relationship with the children of the, of the forest and, and the Three-Eyed Raven or any of that. But, um, you know, just shows up to immediately get, to immediately get killed. Yeah, that was, mm. I, once again, not a drop plot. It's concluded. He comes back just briefly. Concluded poorly, you know. <laughs> very, yeah. Just, just like the Blackfish. Concluded very poorly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Number 60, The Horn of Winter. It's uh, briefly shown mm. in the show, but yeah. it's more relevant in the books than it is in the show. And there is no point in even bringing it to the show if nothing ever comes of it. So here's where I'll defend uh. the show on this point. There, there's, a, there's a point in time where the show is allowed to show us or give us Easter eggs from the book. And this is really what it is. It's that season two scene mm -hmm. where um, uh, Gren and Sam find the dragonglass daggers and the horn. Yeah. At the fist of the first men. Yeah, it's definitely more of an Easter egg because because what he does is he takes the horn and he tips it over and what slides out of it is dragon glass, and the dragon glass is relevant to the plot. And if I remember correctly, the horn of winter in the books that Mance says he found is this like gigantic, huge thing. Yeah. So I mean, we've got two supposed horns of winter, right? You've got this. You've got the horn that that. Um, uh, Mance finds in a giant's grave and that he's using as a legend to unite the wildlings together to convince them to fight against the Night's Watch. And he later uses it to bluff against the Night's Watch, claiming that, you know, I can totally like knock down your wall. So he's got these, you know, he has this like power resides where people think it resides. So he invents this like fake item um, and to, to bind people and then it you know and then it, it turns out it was it was nothing and Melisandre burns it um, in the end and then you've got Sam like finding a horn or Ghost finds the horn and eventually um, John gives the horn to Sam so um, 
So that horn, other fans think it might be the horn of winter. And that's what I'm going to assume it was, a nice little Easter egg the showrunners put in there for, like, book fans. Um, we've seen instances of this before, mostly with characters. One that comes to mind off the top of my head is uh, Lothar Brune gets a brief mention in the beginning of Season 2, or Lem Lemoncloak in Season 6, the uh, Brotherhood members that come to Septon Ray's village and burn it down. So we do get, we do get Easter eggs from time to time here and there, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I that's what I would say as well. That yeah, just the show never built it up. The show never built up the Horn of Winter. Number sixty one, Oberyn's other children. He mentions mm. them, but they never show up. Would have been cool if the new Prince of Dorne was Oberyn's son. I agree on how it would have been cool to see one of Oberyn's children show up at the Great Council meeting in season eight. But this really does feel like a throwaway line, especially since Sam's Citadel plotline was like highly condensed <laughs> into a few episodes of him doing nothing. Or yeah. Orvid and like, don't you have like a theory that like in the neck in Winds of Winter, like Sam's plotline will involve like the impending Ironborn invasion, mysterious faceless men assassins, and like Sorella Sand and the um the brave companions, yeah, the brave companions, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't know how he's gonna resolve it all, but there's a lot of stuff going on in Old Town all at once. Um, considering you know, faceless men, brave companions, Sand snakes, Euron. Um, Maester conspiracies. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. So we'll yeah. See. So Sam's Sam's plot was like condensed, but like Oberyn mentioning he had a bunch of daughters. I don't think that's a drop plot line. I thought that was just a throwaway line to just build up his character that he's such a a, a philanderer or something. Um, yeah, but I mean the scene where they where he does it, he's using it to connect with Cersei and he meant about parenthood, and so he he mentions that mm -hmm. he has eight, eight daughters. Um, I mean, it's a it's it's a tiny little bit of a dropped plot because where are they when when Dorne is supposed to be ruled, right? Like, aren't they related to the Martell family? Of course, we don't know who the the Prince of Dorne is, so maybe maybe it's Dorne's cousin, and and so they would come before five bastard Sand Snake girls. So maybe, um. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice if they were mentioned again. Kind of like it would be nice if they mentioned the Tyrell cousins that should be running House Tyrell after um, that that Marjorie mentions, but we never hear. You and these cousins, man. You and these cousins. cousins. You love the Tyrell cousins, the Jiqui. You you love Jiqui. all these characters. That, like... Oh, her blood, Danny's blood riders that just disappeared. Oh man, <laughs> her first blood riders. She gets her, uh... gets her later blood riders, but. First blood riders just kind of just kind of disappear um, once she makes it to. Marine. Oh, you know that you could. She, they were there in season five, guarding her at the 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 great pit, uh, the great fighting pits. But I don't remember seeing them post season five. So they you can argue they just fell in with the other Dothraki. Mm. Yeah, I mean probably, but you know, like I say, it was really silly that she, that they sent off. Um, Jorah and Dario on their own into the Dothraki Sea to find Danny without Dothraki. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, you just know you, 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 you know, like somebody that might be good at tracking in the you know in the Dothraki Sea who knows how to get to base Dothrak. Ugh, oh well, oh well. But Oberyn's <laughs> other children, I, I disagree with you. I don't think it's a drop plot. I just think it's 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 just. Once again, maybe an Easter egg. I, I don't feel like there was enough of it to be to be 
you know a plot but um you do I mean you obviously do obviously you know as a book fans we you know we think of Oberyn's other children as being very relevant um but, mm-hmm. you know was were they ever built up in the show they they had one line they're they're bastards they w- they wouldn't necessarily inherit so maybe it's just that we're we're so conditioned to the book because they're so the, the five other sand snakes are so important in the book um especially Sorella Sand and Elia but um but we'll we'll uh yeah I mean I'll, I'll say it's not much it it's technically a drop plot I'll give it but it's a really small one there's mm. the compromise. <laughs> Number 62, Pycelle faking his age. He goes on to mention the deleted scene in season three between Tyron and Pycelle, where mm. Pycelle explains to the audience why he puts on the performance. I, I agree with this, but at the same time, I don't. It's not really a dropped or forgotten plot because it never really had any significant mm. significance, which is why Dave and Dan kind of cut out that, that deleted scene from season three. But it is important for that season, yeah. that season three deleted scene to be in there because it references his true allegiance to House Lannister. Yeah, I mean, that's a neat scene. It is kind of redundant with because I think there's a scene where Pycelle acts more nimble around um, a sex worker. So we, so it is, it is, you know, it is canon even without the deleted scene um, that Pycelle is faking um, his 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 feebleness. Um, is it, is it, you know, is it that important? Well, I guess not. I mean, I don't know if, if we, if we learned more of it, um, it would have made a difference. Those kids would still have stabbed Pycelle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that would have been the end of it. Um, if anything, that, that deleted scene was important because, and I think Varys references this in one of the Blu-rays, Histories and Lores, and he says how Pycelle convinced the Man-King to open the gates mm-hmm. of the Tywin during the last days of Robert's Rebellion. So that scene yeah. is important, but not 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 to show that, that Pycelle is putting on an act, but because his allegiance was always to the Lannisters and not to the Crown. Yeah, now the, the, the deleted scene also is supposed to, it has Tywin killing a fish, which is supposed to mirror him killing a stag. In, in a previous scene um, where he's oh, like, yeah. stripping mm-hmm. a stag. So it's supposed to be like, oh, he defeated the Baratheons and now he's defeating the Tullys, you know? So it's like, you know, that, that kind of thing. So it's, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a small thing. I guess it was just something to make Pycelle more interesting that he's not as dumb as he lets on, but he never uses that knowledge to do anything. You know, I wish. I guess I wish Pycelle had a bigger role, and and acted, uh, and used that intelligence. I mean, in the book, they never really introduce him being smarter than he is. I mean, Pycelle's not dumb, but um, you know, he, the, you know, you never think like, oh, Pycelle's an idiot. No, actually, he's super clever. Like, no, I mean, Pycelle is just, you know, he's a smart guy. But he's just not a super smart guy, and. Uh, it, it's not, you know, there's no, there's no twist. So I guess it is a little weird that they introduce this, this idea that he's faking and then that never, it never plays any role. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm, that's why I'm in between. The, does the, do you think the deleted scene is closure enough? Like it's, it's important that he's faking because it tells us about his like Lannister allegiances. The reason he's faking as told by him in the, in the deleted scene is because 
he doesn't want to appear to be a threat. He doesn't mm. want to appear the, the, like to be the tallest or the, the brightest flower. He just wants to remain in the garden. And he feels as though acting like a feeble old man keeps him around. People see him yeah. as less of a threat and less like a person that should be taken out because, you know, politics and yeah. It's true, but he didn't, he didn't, didn't fool, didn't fool Varys and, and in the book and Kyber and in the, uh, the show. I guess they, they thought he was worth taking out. Uh, 63, the Hound wanted to go to Essos and fight as a sellsword when Arya asks him what he plans to do. And it doesn't make much sense for him to go and join the Brotherhood either in Season 6 versus his goal to go to Essos. I actually don't remember the Hound ever saying this, nor which season it's in, but I feel as though this was more of a throwaway line because he later changes his mind, I think, and tries to ransom off Arya to her family a few times. Maybe he was just trying to get the gold to go to Essos, but I, I don't remember this being an active goal of his. Yeah, it must be a throwaway. I mean, it must be a throwaway. There, there's, because if you remember, like, so season, like, they split a Storm of Swords up into, into seasons three and four. But the, mm -hmm. the Red Wedding happens at the end of season three. So now you've got an entire season to fill of Arya and the Hound just wandering around doing nothing. Which, so boring. Which is not, you know, not that much happens. I'm trying to think of like, like post-Red Wedding Storm of Swords. Like Arya goes to a village and then they live there for a couple weeks and then the villagers decide that they need to leave and then they go to the end of the crossroads. And that's the end of that. That's the end of the, the Arya story in, in A Storm of Swords. So you had too much, you had too much time and not enough plot. So I guess they, mm -hmm. you know, they give them a random conversation or something. Uh, 64. Illyrio Mapatis is never seen again after the first few episodes in season one, even when they're at his house in season five. Yes, yeah. this yes. is... Huge, huge drop plot. <laughs> yeah, uh, He's just another victim, in my opinion, of placing the budget elsewhere. Characters that appear should have reappeared in later seasons, like Great John Umber and Ungai are also left out, likely due to budget restraints. I feel like Great John Umber was fairly, like, prominent in season one. Like, he appears quite a few oh, times. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They make, him, they make him into a much bigger role than he has in the book, you know? I mean, all of those lines exist, but when you... All the, all the lines exist that exist in the show, but you, when you delete everybody else, it makes great John Umber look like he's this huge, this huge guy, you know, this huge uh, role. And yeah, now they, and then he just disappears, dies off screen. Well, he, in the season one, he is the one that calls for Rob being the king of the north. He's the first one to, to uh, unsheathe his sword and, 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 and pledge to Rob as king of the north. So you would think that he would appear um, a bit more than he did. And quite frankly, it's weird that Tycho... What's his last name? Nestrosis? Tycho Nestoris? Nestoris. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, it, it's weird that Tycho Nestoris has a bigger presence in the show than Great John Umber, who is one of the major lords in the North. The House Umber is, is later play somewhat of a, a more bigger role when we see them in Season 6 going up against John and his forces. So... If anything, I would like to have seen him die in season three during the Red Wedding, if anything. I mean, that short-haired servant of Cersei takes, has a bigger role than Great John Umber. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people have, a, have a, a greater role than Great John Umber. Roz. Uh, <laughs> greater role or, or more screen time? More screen time, you know. I mean, yeah, that, that Great John Umber is very important in season one. And then, you know, he's never never heard from again 
killed off screen. So killed off screen. Killed off screen. But yes, Illyrio Mapatis, I would consider that dropped. Oh, yeah, I, I would like to have seen one. him again. Yeah, I mean, it's too bad that they couldn't get the actor for for honestly one goddamn scene when Tyrion like shows up at his mansion, you know, or something, or just a throwaway line of like, you know, Illyrio like no longer speaks to me because of because of Danny's destruction of the slave trade. Like just one line, and it would have been fine. He actually appears um, three times in season one. The first time is obviously episode one when he introduces Danny to Caldrogo. Mm. The second time also in season one during the wedding to Danny and Caldrogo where he gives her the eggs. And the third time is in the, um, not the dungeons, where they keep the bones of the dragons. dragons Uh, Yeah. Yeah, that was him meeting up with Varys and they discuss the the wolf and the lion going to war soon. Yeah. He's fairly important to Varys's plans, which it seemed like Varys had grand plans back in season one oh, sure. during those yeah. meetings. Back, back, and... back when there was an Aegon cause. And... <laughs> yeah. Back when we were sure that George might have released the fifth, uh, the the sixth book before they got they got to that point. Nope. 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 And uh, last but not least, sixty-five. John and Ghost's relationship is just all over the place. Um, I don't feel like this is a drop plot. I just feel as though this is kind of, uh, I don't want to say lazy writing, but it's, it is weird. Like, because there, there are moments where John and Ghost are super close and the moments where he just doesn't really care about Ghost that much. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I mean, it's, it was budgeting or something, you know, they didn't want to have a dire wolf around, but the fact that, you know ghost who who has this huge connection with john especially after he dies and like saves his life so many times um and then all of a sudden like vanishes from the story and then we get a few seconds of him at at the uh at the battle and then you know he's he pets him a few times and that's pretty much it you know i mean that he had no goodbye but of course he had no goodbye because we knew he was going to be back you know but he should have had a goodbye (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. A lot of the direwolves, as time goes on, really kind of play more of a background role than they should have. I think the only direwolf that really took precedence was Rob, Rob's direwolf, mm. who fought, who went with him into battle constantly, though we never see it. Yeah. But we're told that it happens. And Rob uses Greywind quite a few times, actually. One time to threaten Jamie. Um, John uses, uses Ghost a couple of times too, but you would think, you know, the Starks would be a bit more closer to their wolves than, than that. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, we don't get the book John either who can actually, you know, skin change him and, and has a telepathic connection to him. Um, you know, we, we, they only explore that with Bran. So, and Summer, I mean, I guess if there's a, a wolf that was done dirty, it's Summer, you know. Doesn't Summer get killed? Right. What happens Summer again in season six? Doesn't she get? Doesn't she, Summer get killed? She jumps out like when when the when the White Walkers are attacking uh, the Three Red Ravens cave. He jumps out for a second, and then she, he's surrounded by undead, and then uh, we we assume that she's ripped apart. Oh yeah, that's right. Wow, that, that wolf was done dirty. Holy <laughs> yeah. fuck. 
Jesus, but uh, yes, that is that is all we have for right now, unless Supercuts decides to uh, make another video. I do enjoy discussing these, and I hope I wasn't ripping on his choices too much. But um, you know, I definitely check out his uh, his channel. Very entertaining guy, Preston. Thank you so much for joining me on these. Anytime, anytime. Uh, Preston, when is Winds of Winter coming out? Because I know they uh, <laughs> they put out a, they put out a, a Winds of Winter website. What's going on with that? Um, I have I have a, I have I have a Winds of Winter web website, but the uh, I mean Winds of Winter. I was doing a thing. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I have windsofwinter.com. But uh, it, it, we'll keep mentioning it. I need to, I need to start editing it, doing something with it. You know, it's just kind you of you do just kind of sitting there. But um, honestly, what, what you have here so far is actually pretty pretty cool. You need to update the Mercy one. Yeah, though. yeah, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the uh, it's I guess it's supposedly July. We're gonna get an announcement, but I doubt it. I really doubt it. Really, July? That's. That seems so far away, but then again, time moves so by so quickly. Didn't he say he was supposed to have it at like New Zealand Con or something like that? Right, which is the end of July. Oh, right. Oh. So his hmm. his statement was like, "Oh, I'm totally gonna have it by the time I go to New Zealand Con, um, and if I don't, you have every right to like kidnap me and like make me." Uh, you know, right He'll have it in his hands at New Zealand yeah. Con. He yeah. he needs to like hire some good security because I feel like people would rush the stage and try to steal it from him. Now, now, granted, even if he had it, it it, it would still need to be edited and 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 printed and things like that, and that would take six months or more. Um, so you know, we'd still have a lot of time. But um, I don't know. Will he will he have it in his hands by the end of July? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't bet on it. With how much Game of Thrones leaked during its production, like story points and stuff like that, it would kind of annoy me if like George finished the book and then gave it to his editor and one of his editors like told certain pieces of information to someone they knew and that person leaked it on like the Reddit forums and stuff because I'm really kind of getting sick of the leaks and I really don't want this book, any details of it whatsoever to be leaked, even though he did release some chapters here and there, that's fine, but I want to like kind of go in completely in the dark um, and, and not know what's about to happen because some dipshit decides he wants five minutes of fame on Reddit and leaks it on there. Yeah, I don't, I don't think things will be leaked. I mean, one thing is like, edit, there's, there's, there's many fewer people involved with publishing a book than um, producing a show. I mean, you're, you're going to have one editor, maybe two, who are, who's going to read that book, that read that manuscript and make corrections. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, it's just, you know, you've got some people that got to send it to the, the printer. And then at that point, maybe at the printer, like somebody is going to might might leak it. But by then, like you're so close to the publishing date that it's not that big a deal. I mean, do you remember if, if spoilers for Harry Potter like it came out when when it was getting published? I feel as though the Internet wasn't there yet in regards mm -hmm. to to spoilers when it came to stuff like that. If they were, it would have been for shows and movies, not books. Yeah. And I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for saying this, but I feel as though Game of Thrones is more popular right now than Harry Potter is. I think at its height, Thrones was way more popular than Harry Potter was at its own height. But I also think Potter has made more money since it can be marketed towards kids, whereas Thrones is usually aimed at a more of an adult audience. Because I feel like Harry Potter's 
popularity really hinges on whether or not new movies or books are coming out, whereas Thrones has managed to retain its popularity despite it not releasing yeah. anything new right now. Though I'm sure someone is going to want to debate that in the comment section, which by all means, please do. Yeah. I mean, I would say that if you're going just books, Harry Potter probably sold more books and was more popular. If you're going all both media, like all media, multimedia, then you're, you know, recluding the shows and the movies, then I would say the Game of Thrones is more popular, you know? More popular, but which made more money? I think Harry Potter made more money. But because mm. of the success of Game of Thrones, even with the lackluster last two seasons, I feel as though this book would probably be one of the most pre-ordered books or one of the most bought books ever. Um, yeah. Maybe not more than the Bible, but... Mm. I mean, I... what. I'm just hoping that we're gonna we're gonna crack that book and the plot is just gonna be completely and utterly different. Like it's just like what? John stays dead the entire time. <laughs> the whole book is him dead? Oh my god. god no way. Right. Yeah. Like, oh my god. Like that would be pretty incredible, right? That no, John really died. Like pff, mind blown. Completely different story, you know? That's all he has to do. Keep that would dead. actually be so insane, like because the show really banked on Jon Snow being that that bathroom sign that you said. Yeah. But him, then who takes who takes the lead role in the North? Like who who's that guy? Who's the bathroom sign? I mean, the books don't really have a need for the bathroom sign. But uh, who, Asha Greyjoy. <laughs> who? It doesn't matter. Really? You know? Like, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you you figure something out. You figure something out. Or like, watch it be Rickon. <laughs> Well, no, or like it'd be Rickon and, and like Asha ends up being like his his main advisor or like Asha or becomes Stanos. Yeah, Amish, yeah, or like Asha becomes Stannis' advisor or Davos figures out something. Davos is now advising Rickon, like something, you know, like there's a million. And I would, I would like, look, if I were writing the book, I would keep John in the direwolf and I would have like a direwolf chapter. Like I'd make like I'd keep John dead the whole book and I'd have the epilogue be ghost, like North. Damn, bro, that's that's a little dangerous. I don't know how people would react to that. That's a little dangerous. Well, I mean, you know, George R. R. Martin likes to live dangerously in his writing, but that (laughs) if if I were writing the book, that that would be the the creative choice I would make. I would keep John dead, the whole book, and so you're reading the whole book, going, "Oh my God, where's John?" And then in the epilogue, the epilogue I would have be ghost. Like north hmm. of the wall, like doing something, you know. And you realize that John's spirit is still alive. Like, you know, which is roughly what he did in A Storm of Swords, right? Like, you think Catelyn's dead, and then um, in the epilogue, you know, she's alive. Yeah, but, okay, so keeping John dead the entire, the entire Winds of Winter. And then we have Dream of Spring, which is the final book, or so he says... Yeah. And then he's res- let's say he's resurrected in Dream of Spring. He has a lot of stuff to do. He has a lot to do. A I don't even lot. need I don't even need him resurrected. I, I you know have him follow Bran, you know? That, that that's fine. But um yeah. So, you know, I I would have if if I were structuring the books. I mean, I've thought a lot about how I would structure the books. But, you know, if I were if I were doing it, I would have the next book would be Danny making her way and landing um, in Westeros uh, at the end of the book. Um, you know, we resolve our northern plots and everything at that point too. And then 
Then A Dream of Spring would be mostly her battle with Aegon. And I would actually have like the other invasion kind of like as the last third or last quarter of the book. Like I would, because I don't think a, a, a zombie invasion where everybody dies is very interesting. So you could just keep, you know, that, that, that could be faster kind of pace. But um, I've always found it super weird that the White Walkers in the books don't have as big of a presence as they do in the show because their huge motivation for the Wildlings wanting to come down south and they barely appear. They they have some appearances here and there, of yeah. course, but as compared to the show, where the books and the show were at the same time, not as much. Yeah, like if it if it weren't if it weren't for the fact that this is a this is a book, and you, you kind of know certain things about a story, like oh, you know, a, a man and a woman are introduced. I bet they're going to get together. Like you know, if if it weren't a story. We don't really have any evidence that the others want to go south of the wall and invade, right? Like, there's nothing in the book that's actually introduced that idea. But because it's a story, we kind of know that, okay, they're going to invade south at some point. But there's, there hasn't been anything in the book that says they want to do that. And I actually wanted to ask you about this. So in the show, Daenerys eventually becomes the Mad Queen and how she comes out of nowhere with this plan to bring peace and order to the world. Yeah, yeah. Break, break the wheel, all that. And we never really got any inkling of these plans of hers before this one scene in season eight. Oh, uh, well, we have her sit down with Tyrion. The break that she first brings up breaking the wheel. Um, yeah, but when she brings up breaking the wheel, it just sounds like she's going to correct the injustices that the wheel produces. She doesn't say she's going to bring order and justice yeah, to, like, yeah. lands beyond Westeros. But do you think what truly makes her go insane uh, will be what they do to her as a prisoner? Because when we leave her in the fifth book, they find her, and the Dothraki aren't really known for their excellent treatment of prisoners if they do take any. So it is possible the things she experiences or goes through while prisoner of the Dothraki is what, like, truly breaks her mind. And not to mention, it would also parallel what happened to her father when the Mad King was in prison in Duskendale for, like, a year or something. So it would make sense on that level as well. Huh. Because in the show, when she's captured by the Dothraki, they don't touch her. They don't, like, rape her or brutalize her or nothing. Right, right. But in the books, the books are much different. And do you think the Dothraki will, like, do something to her? Yeah, but she's still a Dosh. She's still a member of the Dosh Kaleen. So, you know, like, it would, be, it would go against... This is his out, right? It would go against their, mm. their beliefs to, to do something to a Dosh Kaleen. So... And, and in the books, like, the Dosh Kaleen apparently have real power, unlike in the show where they're, they're immediately said to be nothing. So it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to say where they're going with it. Um, well, Danny, Danny's mind break and her wanting justice in the world has to come from something. If anything, she'll probably be traveling with the Dothraki as their prisoner to, to bring her to Vast Dothrak. And along the way, the, she'll probably witness the Dothraki raping and pillaging. And maybe that's where her idea comes from about bringing justice and peace and prosperity into the world in the yeah, books. Yeah. Maybe that's what will happen because it's kind of a leap. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. Everybody taught, I mean, the Mad Queen's theory has been around for a while, and then it somehow happened in the show, so maybe, I don't know, they'll, they'll have to come up with something. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be her being brutalized versus just her naturally coming to this. I mean, she was, she did kill all those slavers in Astapor, you know, and above the age of 12, so... 
And I also wonder, because the Dothraki charging into the uh, White Walkers, that was such a huge death sentence to them. And I wonder, mm. I always wonder, like, did Danny ever harbor hatred against the Dothraki? Did she ever just see them as, like, tools of war and that was it? She had no compassion towards them? If anything, she'll probably... What, she, what she'll go through in Winds of Winter in Dothraki captivity will probably change her mind or make her hate the Dothraki, just seeing them and yeah. how they truly are. There's a few things that happened in Season 8 that just smelled like George R. R. Martin. I mean, yeah. I don't... I don't I don't think D&D, like, implemented them well, but they just smelled like George R. R. Martin. Like, Bran being king at the end, like, I, you know, kind of something that, that's that been predicted before. Um, uh, but that that's one thing. Um, Tyrion's speech about, like, stories, like, which, as, as stupid as it was, it, like, definitely felt like George R. R. Martin. Sam talking about true death being when everyone forgets you and all of that and what the Night King wants. That felt like George R. R. Martin. Um, the, the, a white dragon, like a dead dragon, felt like George R. R. Martin. Like, like, would D&D really have the, the balls to be like, yeah, let's do an undead dragon. Like, you think that's their idea, you know? So <laughs> the Mad Queen is another one. Like, I guess, you know, it's happening. It just doesn't seem like something that D&D would pull the trigger over, you know? Like, they they sat there and like heard the plot points and were like okay we gotta we gotta do this plot point, you know. So, I guess I, we'll see if they come or not. I mean, he, George R. R. Martin can of course change his mind and do whatever he wants. Keep John dead. <laughs> you really want John to stay dead? Oh, it would just be a much better story. Oh Jesus! It's not that I I, I liked I like John. It's just that it would be more interesting to have John dead. You know, there, there's so many more interesting characters to focus on up there. And I think John takes the oxygen out of the room. Like, I'd rather he see does. the story. I'd rather have this. I'd rather follow Davos, Melisandre, Asha and Theon. Like, I'd like they're in the north. Like, I'd rather follow them than follow John. My idea, my dream for season six onwards. Your dream, was your dream for kept... spring? My dream for season six onwards, what I would have done was kept John dead for a good chunk of the season and have Sansa kind of take over, have her be the yeah. negotiator, have her be, you know, the uh, the kingmaker, have her have her just maneuver around chess pieces on the board like Littlefinger taught her or how she learned from Cersei to manipulate and just, you know, maneuver around people going to each northern house and just convincing them to rise against the Boltons. And maybe then, after a while, John gets resurrected or maybe comes out of his coma after Melisandre tries to resurrect him. And yeah. I don't I, I wanted a good chunk of season six to be, in the north, the northern storyline, to be Sansa-centric. Because she barely did anything throughout the entire series besides get brutalized and fucked with. That would have been... That would have been... That would have been incredible. That would have been a much better story had it just been like Sansa arrives at the wall, you know, and and Davos Davos is there and Brienne is there and then they, they kind of start advising her and, and like, well, I've got nothing to do. Like I guess let's let's take this uh let's take the north. And then you know, it, it would explain it better. Like John becoming a warmonger and wanting to wanting to kill wanting to take Ramsey Bolton out is kind of you know, I mean, I guess they needed Rickon back to do that, but um, you know, 
it made more sense if it was Sansa because John was so focused on the White Walkers, you know. So if you keep Sansa, if you have Sansa do that, go to the Wall, get for, get wildlings, get get the forces, rally the North. Um, yeah, that would be a much better plot. And there had to have been a reason for her to go through all the bullshit she went through throughout all the other seasons. You know, being fucked with by Cersei, being moved around like a like a chess piece on the board by Littlefinger. Uh, you know, the insanity she had to go through with Joffrey, and then later her aunt Lysa. And it's just, I there had to have been a purpose and a reason for all of that to have happened. And it kind of doesn't really go anywhere. We just get one throwaway line in season eight where she goes, I think it was season eight or season seven, where she references things she's learned from Cersei. And it yeah. just doesn't really. Yeah, things she learned from Cersei off screen. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. But person, I'm sorry, we went on for way too long about all this. No worries, thank you. No thank you so much for joining us. Guys, thank you for joining us as well. And as always, we'll see you next time. Have a good one.